Welcome to this installment of Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Patrice Dutille, and I'm talking from the Allen Slate Radio Institute at Ryerson University in downtown Toronto. There's been a lot of talk lately about the place of history in Canada's classrooms. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission's report that was issued in late 2015 specified a number of changes that had to be made to the way history is taught in Canada so as to make Canadians more sensitive to Indigenous realities. At the same time, some controversies have arisen about how people and events are commemorated and many people observed that history is deficient in Canadian schools. With me to talk about this topic is Lindsay Gibson. He teaches in the Faculty of Education at the University of Alberta and has published many scholarly articles on the subject. He's also part of the very innovative Historical Thinking Project. Lindsay, welcome to the mic. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's always nice to talk about, uh, and when other people are interested in what, what you spend your time thinking about. It is, it is. I want to focus on the high school curriculum this time and the way history is taught in English Canada. What's your general impression of it today? Well, I mean, that's a really good question because in a lot of ways, we don't really know. I mean, we know a lot about what's in the curriculum, uh, but in education terms, we talk about the, you know, the official curriculum versus the enacted curriculum, the curriculum that actually, you know, what students you know, are actually being taught in the curriculum document. And, you know, we haven't had a comprehensive study in Canada since 1968. It was published, uh, A.B. Hodgetts did a study. And so it's quite remarkable, actually, that 50 years later, we can say a lot of things anecdotally or from smaller scale studies, but we don't really have a, uh, a really clear picture about what actually is happening in terms of, you know, I could talk about curriculum, but, you know, in terms of what actually is happening. That's a really interesting research project, isn't it? Yeah. So we have, you know, we've got a group of 30 history educators from across Canada, and it includes historic, and when I say history educators, I mean people based in faculties of education who focus, focus on history or social, and social studies education, but it also includes historians and museum educators and other people. And so we were really, uh, it's a two-stage grant process, and we went through the process once already. We made it uh, through the first stage, but then didn't get the funding at the very end of the second stage. And so we've just resubmitted again, beginning this two-stage process, and we'll find out in May whether we get through the first stage again. So we're really hoping, we think we've really improved the grant, and, and we're really hoping that it comes through because we really want to answer this question. We, you know, and this kind of study would include a, a full scan of curriculum across Canada and an analysis of the curriculum across Canada, but also we want to get a portrait of what's actually happening in classrooms. So, um, you know, significant student surveys, significant teacher surveys, but also some, you know, what we're calling snapshots or portraits where we go into from these researchers all across, from coast to coast to coast across Canada to go into classrooms to actually see what's going on. Well, I wish you great luck with this project. <laughs> yeah, we have our fingers crossed. Let's 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 step back and, and be a little philosophical for a second. What what is is there any value in teaching teenagers about Canadian history? Well, I would expand I would say yes to the Canadian history part and I would say yes to history in general. Um, you know, we we know quite well, I think, from research um uh, from from many people before me that, you know, it's really important for a lot of things and it's about you know, we talk about this idea of historical consciousness, of this orientation about uh, that a better understanding of the past might help orient ourselves and, and understand who we are in the present, but also 
guide decisions into the future and, and, and orient ourselves in those ways. It's a big part of identity. Um, and that's not even to play into the new research that's been coming out in the last few years from Sam Weinberg, a well-known history educator in the, in the United States. And he's been doing a lot of work around expert novice studies looking at fake news and looking at website credibility and how, um, you know, what he would refer to as, or what has been referred to as the digital natives, the, the, the students that we teach that have all grown up in the information age with the internet, with smartphones, with these types of things. But, um, you know, their difficulty in sort of assessing uh, truth and, and, and validity and, and reliability and credibility in, in accounts, both uh, in the present, but also historical. Do you think? But do you think high school kids are are amenable to history? Or do you think they're interested in history? I mean, they're competing with, you know, the curriculum is competing with math and science and coding and everything else. Are are, are teenagers, in your view, um, willing to learn about history? Are they open to that? Yes, I think so. I mean, in our experience, too. Um, I mean, there's numerous programs every year, whether it be through the, the the Governor of Canada uh, uh, History Awards that are operated by Canada's History Society in Winnipeg. Um, so we see student, you know, there's kind of essay competitions and other pieces like that. The the Governor General's Award for Teaching History, heritage programs across Canada, uh, innovative projects we hear about from 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 teachers across Canada, uh, annual summer institutes that I'm involved in through the Historical Thinking Project and working with teachers and other people, and you know, the stories from these people are that, you know, the, these students are absolutely engaged in this and actually engaged in it in many ways that were different than when I was in school. And I graduated from high school in the, in the mid early to mid-1990s. Mm. Um, well, let's, let's go, okay, let's, let's look back then in terms of, um, in terms of history, of, of, of the history curriculum. What's, what's been the trend, in your view, of the way that Canadian history has been taught in high school, let's say over the last 30 years? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's some amazing work, uh, and I always talk to my students about this. Uh, you know, Ken Osborne was a well-known history educator at the University of Manitoba, and he's also a historian of history education, you know, so if we want to get really narrow, uh, you know, not only just about, you know, how history has been taught in Canadian schools um, and in North American schools really since the late 1800s. And so we definitely see some trends that have happened over time period in terms of, you know, the kinds of changes and continuities that have happened over time. And I would say that um, in terms of some of the continuity, uh, there has, you know, history for a long time period, and I would say there's lots of remnants of it still today and lots of examples that it still exists of the purpose of history in schools really to, for this nation-building narrative. For this, uh, we're going to, you know, a nation of, of, you know, that had a massive, you know, influx of immigration, all these things. How are we going to foster a national identity? How are we going to build uh, common beliefs and attitudes and... Uh, values as a nation. How are we going to do all these things? And history education played a massive role in that. And I would say that that sort of existed, this sort of nation-building approach, this, you know, triumphant story of Canadian progress and, and all of these things was really in, you know, in the dominant thing that was really happening in schools up until, I would say, into the 60s and 70s. Uh, and this kind of teaching, I mean, it had a this nation-oriented approach, but it, the pedagogical approach was also one that's often parodied in history education. So, you know, the 
facts to be remembered. The teacher tells you the narrative, the student's job is to remember the narrative and repeat the narrative back to them on tests and assignments and other things like that. There was very little interpretation. And Hodgetts in this 1968 study talked about this, um, you know, about this kind of history education. He called it a dry as dust uh, chronological approach to history that grayed out the the exciting parts of history, the the debate, the interpretations, the the questions that are being asked. So that would be kind of, I would say, a dominant approach into the 70s. And I think in the 70s there was pedagogical changes, but there was changes, as you would know, in the discipline of history, whether that be the social turn and, and cultural turn and literary turn and all of these kinds of turns in the discipline of history. Uh, and there was the cognitive revolution in education where you know, a constructivist approach to education that students learn better. You know, firstly, it was sort of understood that, well, students are really capable of a lot more sophisticated thinking than was previously thought about. There was a group of Piagetian-influenced scholars in Britain and other places that really had a narrow view of what students were capable of in terms of history, and, and it was an age-related theory that you really couldn't begin to think about history until this other age. Well, in this cognitive revolution, people are saying, wow, we've got some, uh, some pretty clear evidence that students are bringing sophisticated knowledge about the past in with them from family history, from vacations, from media, from other things, uh, but also they're, they're very capable of, and, and of doing sophisticated things. I mean, this is all really encouraging, but the reality is that Canadian history, uh, as a specific and required high school course, yeah. only exists in four provinces. Manitoba has a, a Canadian history course in grade 11. Yeah. Ontario has a mandatory Canadian history course in grade 10. Nova Scotia has a mandatory grade 11 course. And Quebec is mandatory history in grade 9 and 10. Uh, in New Brunswick, the only Canadian history uh, course is subsumed in, in a grade 9 course on the Canadian identity. In all the other provinces, uh, the the only course that has some history is a general social science course. And, and if, if my, my reading is correct, in Newfoundland and Labrador, a student can avoid taking history entirely in high school. I mean, w are we not in a... In a, in a, in a, in a terrible situation here when, when six of the ten provinces, and the same thing goes with the territories, uh, do not require a, an adolescent to take a Canadian history course. Right. So I would, you know, so I think one of these trends in the 70s, what really came about was, um, you know, uh, provinces began to bring in more social studies, social sciences, but also Canadian studies courses that were not pure history courses. They were civics and government, but also history and, um, you know, even some sociology and anthropology to some degree, some of those types of things. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's certainly been a trend over time. But I would say, you know, I would say I, you could certainly read it the way uh, that you just presented in that way. And, and at times, you know, you can say, well, maybe it isn't a good thing. But I would also argue and say just because hist Canadian history courses aren't, aren't standalone courses doesn't mean there's a significant amount of Canadian history being taught all across Canada. And in lots of scans that have happened of curriculum, what's really been found is that there really is a sort of, we call it a de facto national curriculum, in the sense that everyone teaches the same, pretty much the same subjects. And what, what just differs is how often they teach them and, uh, and really in what grades. But I would certainly say that there's a kind of approach, and it's called in, in social studies and history education called expanding horizons, 
that starts out with students at young ages, beginning with self and local community and local history, and then expanding out outwards from there. And that goes out into grade four and grade five, usually into, so in Alberta, for example, Alberta history in grade four, but then Canadian history in grade five, same things in British Columbia and other places. And then it goes all the way out to kind of the ancient world into, you know, grade six and seven and eight, and then begins narrowing back in again, and then uh, tends to focus more on Canadian history and those pieces, and then expands back out again by grade 11 and 12, where there's more optional courses in these pieces. So, I mean, you could look at it and say, yes, it's, it's, would I, as a, someone who is deeply involved in teaching history and Canadian history, uh, but also other kinds of history as well, uh, I would certainly be happy and say it would be great to have more Canadian history courses stand alone on their own. But I also think that there, you know, it isn't like there isn't any any uh, any history being taught, and there's quite a bit. Okay, so I mean, I, I, I'm I really appreciate your enthusiasm and your and your optimism here. Maybe the question should be: there are there are uh, optional courses yeah. in high school. Uh, across the country, there are op- there are optional courses. What could be done to make the curriculum more interesting, so that more kids avail themselves of the optional courses? What would if if you if you were in charge of the curriculum across the country, what would you do to make it better, in terms of history? Well, I think I, you know as you've talked about, uh, I think a big issue is that we really need to, you know, there's a. I would bring the students in more and really see the value of this in some ways. And so I think in some cases we really have this old nation-building narrative, like I said, that still really exists in classrooms, and I think it excludes some students. And that could be Indigenous students, it could be students who are studying immigration from places that don't really speak to their family history in their area. So I, and another major problem that I would suggest, and I'm doing research on this area right now, is curriculum fragmentation. So we cut up curriculum in lots of cases temporally or, or thematically, and, and that students really lack a big picture of Canadian history writ large. And so what I would suggest is maybe, you know, wider pieces of history maybe at different levels. So maybe at younger grades or other ones, they might fly at a higher altitude. So it might be we're going to look at, Canada over time, but really look at major events and major shifts, you know, what we would call more big history kind of idea, and build year to year to year a more, um, a stronger framework, I think, of knowledge in terms of what are these major events here, but then that provides us a little bit more freedom to dive down into some specific topics or trace a theme over time. So, you know, how could we look, for example, at Indigenous history over from both pre-contact to the present if we don't have an idea about some of the key events or key um, the you know, developments the in yeah. Canadian history. Mm-hmm. So that would be one thing. I would also like to see more, you know, we tend to be by grade 11 and 12 getting wider, like uh, whether that be world history or other things. I would actually like to see more local, regional, uh, and thematic history in the senior grade so that we were developing students more towards a point where they were going to do some historical inquiry by the grade 11 and 12 years, that they were going to, so based on what they knew already or based on some topics that they were really interested in, that they would, uh, you know, in some ways like an honors thesis or some other ways, but I mean, it doesn't have to be written as a paper, 
it, but involves some archival research, involves some a development of a really good question and the analysis of evidence, and then some sort of presentation of that learning, whether that be um, you know a podcast, uh, um, you know a visual essay, or those things. So I think we can do more. Uh, and to engage students in, in relating the past to the present. How do we bring some of these commemoration controversies? How do we help them see that the study of history is not just about this stuff that happened in the past, it's got a relationship to the present and a, and a relationship about envisioning different futures. Well, it reminds me a great deal about the uh, the historical thinking project and the thrust of that, uh, that community of, of scholars uh, and teachers to encourage a historical reflection. Can you tell me about your involvement in the Historical Thinking Project? What's this about? Yeah. So the Historical Thinking Project was created by Peter Satius in uh, 2006, and it was through some funding through Historica, and Historica was trying to develop a model or a, a purpose for history education that they could use to evaluate the effectiveness of their program. And so Peter had been, you know, doing this international research on history education, was really at the forefront with Sam Weinberg uh, and British history education researchers, Peter Lee and some other people. And they were really thinking about what does it mean to think historically? How, how might we, you know, the goal of history education to this point has been facts to be remembered. You know, do you accumulate more knowledge of the past as you go through but as we all know, that you can have a lot of factual knowledge but not be a very good historical thinker. So they were conceptualizing what does it mean to think historically. So there's a bunch of research that was around these what are called second-order concepts. And these concepts are uh, concepts that frame the way that we do history. And in this research, they identified these concepts. So Peter held a meeting of, of international scholars that came together, and they formulated a framework, a historical thinking framework, that was built on these concepts. And so Peter highlighted six concepts, and he would be the first one to say, I didn't invent these concepts. These, these concepts existed. I put them together into a framework. And the framework has been probably more successful than he ever imagined um, in the sense that, you know, it's now a framework for curriculum all across Canada. It's so in the new BC curriculum that I was part of the working group on. Uh, we're hoping, I'm working on the new Alberta curriculum, we're hoping it's going to be a significant part of that. It's the backbone, really, of the new Ontario curriculum. Uh, pieces of it, I, you know, uh, Quebec curriculum, and you talked to Marc-Andre about this, has a... a um, their own take on these concepts, so, but it's certainly these historical thinking concepts are embedded in the, in the Quebec curriculum. We see them in Manitoba. Anyways, all across Canada. And the idea is, is that these concepts, which is based on the idea of historical significance, what causes things to be, you know, how do we decide what's worthy of study? What is a significant event? What makes something significant? Yes, and to try to understand things in their context. Right, and understand things in their context. So to some degree, really, students get critical about this idea of why are we studying this in the curriculum? Is this worthy of study? What, right. what does this tell us about, you know, we, and we introduce criteria to that to students to help them think about significance. So a significant event is something that caused uh, change, and it caused change for a lot of people, and it impacted a lot of people. But significant events are also sometimes uh, really significant and have some sort of revealing nature of the present. They touch on something that is important to society in the present. I also like what the Historical Thinking Project, uh, the way it emphasizes um, original sources. Right. So it, it's focused on primary source evidence, on, on how to analyze it and the kinds of thinking that we do about sources. 
It's looking at cause and consequence, what causes things to happen in history, and what are the consequences of those actions. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, speaking from the historic, from the Champlain Society, yeah, we've been doing that since 1905, and <laughs> right, know, right. providing providing resources for you know for. For, for students, for teachers, for anybody interested in Canadian society. I want to finish off with, with uh, I, I got to ask a question about Finland because yeah. everybody talks about the, the, the Finnish educational system. And so I looked into this, uh, and, and sure enough, there are two courses re- per year required in lower high school. I guess they'd be, these, be, these would be uh, half courses that yeah. focus on history. They also have four compulsory courses that cover economic, cultural, and political history. And this is in addition, I emphasize, to social science courses. I mean, so the Finns have obviously decided that history is really important. And we all know that in Finland, they give their teachers tremendous freedom in how to, uh, how to, to create their, 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 their lessons, their, their lesson plan. Is this a way to go, do you think, Lindsay, uh, for Canada? Could this kind of approach work in, in Canada? Yeah, I've been thinking, you know, a lot of I think there's a few things in the Finnish model that are worthy of of consideration. And we always have to be just like comparing two historical time periods, we always have to be very careful or two historical events, we have to be very careful about comparing education systems. But what the Finns do really well is they have a really really solid teacher education program. So they have a system by which it's you know, teachers are highly respected in society. Uh, it's very competitive and difficult to become a teacher. And they have to have um, incredible amounts of disciplinary expertise. So if you're going to become a history teacher, it's not just good enough maybe that you had an undergraduate degree, but you've got to have some pedagogical knowledge in history education research, but sometimes also masters uh, in history. So there's that idea, whereas in Canada, we train and different provinces are different. We train social studies teachers at universities, oftentimes with undergraduate degrees. Very few social studies or history methods classes and curriculum and pedagogy classes. And then once they go into the system, as we all know in lots of schools, you'll have teachers who, who do not have any background in these areas. Hey, I need you to fill two of these social studies or history classes because we don't have anyone to do it. So that's a you know that's a significant difference, and it's something that we're really working hard on is saying how can we do teacher education better? How can we maybe rethink how we prepare our teachers? But it also has a lot to do with provincial and territorial requirements for teachers and logistics and some of those things. Now, is, is there is there room for optimism that at some point the various curricula uh, that are put out by the provincial uh, ministries will will somehow converge? Is that, is, that, is, that, is that just pie in the sky dreaming? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, there's <laughs> always been talk and recurring over the last hundred years about a national history curriculum. Now, I would not suggest that a very, uh, a really, um, I don't know. Uh, prescriptive? Prescriptive and really detailed, like, you know, a, can, a canonical kind of look, like you have to study these things kind of thing. But I could see that a framework that was built uh, with history educators and historians together and a vision for what history education could be and a series of policy recommendations, but also pedagogical ones, uh, could be something that's very powerful. And what we're really hoping out of this research grant that we're, we're putting together is that exactly that. We're focusing not only just on curriculum, but on resources and textbooks, but also on teacher education 
and also at what's actually happening in classrooms. And we're hoping to come out of this and say, if we really believe that this is important, and I get the sense from Canadians, uh, from my experience, that Canadians care a great deal about their history and about learning it, uh, that we can maybe make some headway with this. And, you know, to be honest, the, last, the history wars of the 1990s led by Granitstein and some of these other ones, all of the things that you could, you can criticize many things about the claims that they were making, the arguments they were making, but one of the things that came out about it is they really did get history in the public and national conversation. And they really did, and Ken Osborne would argue that they solidified a decline in history out of, out of K-12 schools and really solidified them more as being something important. So it's distinctly possible that that, uh, and I'm, I'm very hopeful for the future that we can continue to improve these. And I think calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation, calling for a new approach to history education, a rethinking about how we've taught it and how we think about it is really important. I, I agree with you, and I, I really appreciate your, your optimism on all those things. And, and I, I really like your, your idea of making sure that there's a local element that's brought into each curriculum, and of course that would have to be different from locality to locality, right. but uh, kids do need to know uh, about the history of their neighborhoods and of their cities, and I distinctly remember never talking about <laughs> those things when I was uh, in school, and that was a long, a long time ago. Yeah. Thank you, Lindsay, for sharing your ideas on, on this important topic. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday, the Champlain Society podcast on Canadian history. Please visit our website at www.champlainsociety.ca where you'll find more about what the Society does, including its publications, its blog, and more about these podcasts. There's even a place to become a member and a sustainer of the Society if you like these conversations with historians and people who love history about Canada's history. The Champlain Society is entirely voluntary, but money is always needed to keep the lights on. My name is Patrice Dutille. This interview was recorded in the Alan Slate Radio Institute of Ryerson University. It was recorded on March 16, 2018 and produced by Sumit Dami and Purnia Jamshed. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time.